This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. Why don't we go ahead and read from a book that's a little hard to find as I bring you a message today entitled Dark Days, Dark Days. Anybody ever been through a dark day? Yeah. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis, a little hard to find that one sometimes. Just find a table of contents and just go a little further. Genesis chapter 11, and it's a kind of an obscure passage that a lot of people don't find as fascinating as I find it. But this passage of scripture actually speaks to my heart, speaks to, to me. Uh, and I, I guess sometimes you'll see scriptures get real popular. You know, back in the nineties, the prayer of Jabez got real popular or different scriptures at different times. And of course, there's the one that's always been popular, John 3.16. But this is one of those verses that, that will be hit or miss for some people at different times in the church culture. And, and this verse speaks to me, Genesis chapter 11. We're going to read verse 27, 28, then 31 and 32. Reads like this, then we're going to pray. This is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram. And Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans. I want you to notice this. There's a death that occurs. He died in the land of his birth while his father, this should never be the case, but while his father was still living. And one day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his, Abraham's wife, Abram's wife, his grandson Lot, the son of Aran, moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Cana, but they stopped at Haran, and they settled there. I want you to notice this. They got stopped, and they stayed. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. Let's bow our heads for prayer today. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your power. I thank you for what you've already accomplished in this day and what you're going to do. Lord, we are here. We are here now for you to speak to us. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. Now, a lot of people wouldn't find this a, a passage to really enjoy. A lot of people wouldn't find this as a passage to celebrate. But I want to talk with you about this passage because this passage had spoken to me because I believe it's significant. It's made me wonder if Abraham, who's considered the father of our faith, is uh, was not God's intended one to be the father of our faith. I remember one time that I heard uh, Reinhard Bonnke say, he said that uh, uh, he, he, the Lord had spoken to him and, and said that uh, uh, he was under attack from Satan himself. And he said, well, Lord, I, I don't know that I feel worthy to be under attack for Satan, uh, by Satan himself. And he said, oh, well, you're not. And he said, well, he says, as a matter of fact, let me tell you this. He said, Reinhard, you were not my first choice for your assignment. 
You were not my second choice for your assignment. You were not my third or fourth choice for my assignment. But sometimes because others won't become what God has intended them to be, God has to raise up other voices. God has to raise other people up to step into the gap. And first off, let me go ahead and say, if they miss that opportunity, it doesn't mean that God's not going to come around again. And we'll see that in the scripture. But somehow, somewhere, the scripture lets us know that, that, that God called unto Terah. And he said to him, I want you to go to the land of Cana. And he starts traveling, and as he goes on, before he can take the journey, before he starts the journey, he gets delayed because he suffers the pain of having his firstborn son die. They keep moving forward, but as they move forward, eventually he comes to a place, the son that has died's name is Haran, and he comes to a city that bears the same name, Haran. And he gets to this place to where he cannot continue to pursue the promise because his pain gets him stuck right where he is. Now, Terah is headed for Cana. And Canaan is the place of God's promise. It's the place of God's provision. Suddenly, after the death of his son, he finds himself coming to this city that shares the same name, and he ends up stuck in his pain and giving up on the promise and the provision of God. Now, this may seem strange, but I believe that some of you understand exactly what I'm talking about because you had something happen in your life that shut you down emotionally, that affected you somehow physically, that somehow has become one of the marks of your life, and it's got you stuck stuck somewhere where you can't get moving forward. Now remember we're in a series here called Refreshed and this Refreshed series has been saying to us that, that we end up in these dry and weary places and when we end up in these dry and weary places we've got to catch the momentum to move out of those places. We've got to be refreshed so we can go forward but the problem is pain does not refresh you, pain will drain you. Can I get an amen? Now, did the name of the place remind him of the pain that he felt? We don't know. We don't know why it caused him to lock down there, but here's what we do know. That he comes to a place with the name of his greatest pain, and he stops. Somehow, some way, this place that causes him to deal with his greatest pain causes him to say that he either won't or can't deal with it. He doesn't want to look it in the eye. It was too hard. It was too painful. And it, the demand that it would take to deal with this was too great. I feel like today I'm preaching to somebody who's experienced pain. I feel like I'm preaching to somebody who's gone through loss that you should have never had to lose. You should have never had to face. You've gone through scars and struggles and problems. And I, you know, I, I, I reminded of a time I had a lady share a testimony in our Bible school and she shared this testimony how that uh, God had brought her 
through the, her husband falling off a roof and becoming paralyzed. And, 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 and in her testimony, she shared the story of how the reason that she married this man was be, wasn't because she was overly in love with him per se. It's her testimony, not mine. Was, but was because she had had to care for a parent who was paralyzed and she felt like no one else in the family would step up. And so she had escaped to try to move forward with her life and married this man out of her pain. And I was sat in shock to realize that until she dealt with that pain, that pain had come knocking yet again to her door. You can try to ignore your pain. You can try to brush it under the rug or you will realize, my goodness, I feel the Holy Spirit as I'm trying to get started preaching to you today. You will realize that that pain is always going to know where you live and it's always going to come knocking on your worst and darkest days. It's going to tell you that you can't get better, that there's no hope for you, that you're always going to be scarred. But I've come to this place. My goodness, I feel the Holy Spirit in what I'm about to say. I've come to this place looking for champions this morning who are ready to shake themselves and let the pain that has held you back stop moving you toward that problem and let yourself be loose as you move toward the promise and the provision of the living God. How many of you know that Jesus is a better way? Come on now. Give God a prayer. Here's what we know. He couldn't let go of his pain to experience the promise that was ahead. God had a promise. God had something ahead of him that would provide for him. But because of his pain, he couldn't believe that God was in control. He felt like God had somehow abandoned him. He felt like somehow God was through with him. He felt like he couldn't get moving forward. Has anybody ever felt that way at all in this place? I get it. I understand it. You know, I try not to talk about them often because they're now adults and they, they can, they can, they get on to their old dad. But I, I'm reminded of that moment and when, when God made a way where there seemed to be no way. When God sent Blessing where there seemed to be no provision. I'll never forget. You'll never forget when you hold your two-year-old child in your arms as, as the life is ebbing out of their body. As I stood there holding my oldest daughter, Bethany, as she was at the point of, of death, as her brain was dehydrated, she had a blood sugar that normally, you know, should be about 80-something. She had a blood sugar of 777. We didn't know what was wrong. We've been told she had the flu to go home and give her lots and lots of Sprite, which was poison to her body. We are sitting there. I'm holding her as she's dying. I, I, it's a long story. I'm not going to share it this morning. But as God provided for her supernatural deliverance and how the doctors rushed and they said, we don't know how she'll recover, but, 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 but we'll, we'll see. It's touching, and touch and go right now. And there was all these things as they began to flush her system. And, 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 and I, and I, when we finally made it through that, that the horrible moment, an opportunity came up for me to write about what God had done, the miracle that God had done. And so I wrote from my place of pain about God's provision as he got us in the right place and in the right time. You know, matter of fact, I'm just going to go ahead and briefly tell it to you. We were there and it was at the height of soccer season. Anybody ever been to the emergency room at the height of soccer season? It is not God's plan. 
I walked in and one of the nurses had called out, so there's one nurse triaging the whole emergency room. There's scrapes and bruises and possible broken bones and every, every parent there screaming because there's only one nurse in the whole, in the whole room. And so as I'm standing there holding my child, she looks at us and says, y'all sit down over there. And I'm holding my daughter and I'm watching the, the commotion going on in the room and I'm a take charge kind of guy. I mean, that's just who I am. And, and, and I'm getting upset and, and I'm getting frustrated. You know, John, you remember those days and I, I was wounded and, and, and as I was wounded in that moment, all of a sudden, uh, the spirit of the most high God spoke to me and he said, he said, son, you stop that nurse and you tell her she's doing a good job. I said, God, I ain't lying even for you. She's not doing a good job. He said, you tell her and you tell her now. So I stood up with my baby in my arms. I said, ma'am. She looked up at me a little shortly. She looked at me and she braced herself. Because all these dads and moms were screaming at her. She braced herself. And she said, yes. And I said, I don't care what anybody else in this room says. I just want you to know you're doing a good job. Now, you would think the heavens would have repealed at that moment. Instead, she scowled at me and stormed off. And I sat down and said, what good does that do, God? What good is that? All I can figure is that she walked around to the back wall took Bethany's chart from the bottom of the stack and put it on the top of the stack. Then she came around and I'm telling you, she did it just like this. She smirked at every other patient. Walked right past them and said, sir, you come here with your daughter now. I smirked back. Come on now, all of them. No, I was grateful, but I, I walked across the room. We, my wife went in with her. We put her on the bed, and the doctors literally went insane. And these were their words. They said, if this child had not been given the care we're about to give this child right now, she would have died in that waiting room. I wrote that story. 100,000 copies of that sold. Went all over the world. People wrote the, read the miracle and were healed reading the miracle. I mean, is, would you think that's being faithful? I tried. I tried to be faithful. I go and I would. I I I go home from preaching that God can heal, and I take and wrap my arms around her as she was growing, and wrap my ankles around her ankles and hold her down while she bit me while while I was trying to to allow her mother to give her the medical care that she needed. And, and yet I preached God can heal, God can deliver, and I prayed for people right here as God healed them and delivered them. Your grandbaby watched him completely healed from a debilitating fire right here in this altar. Right here, watch what God can do. Preached all over the world and thousands were ministered to through that story. Would you say that's faithful? I'll never forget coming Georgia at the fair. I had to watch Bethany certain ways because of the heat and the, the noise and, and you can't have a Christmas morning with, with, when the way they struggle without it being a, a tragedy every Christmas morning and all the struggles and problems we've been through. And the more I watched her, the more I saw it in Jordan. Twelve years I'd preached God's faithfulness. How dare I not tell you about God's goodness in the middle of that? 
We were struggling. What do you do when you don't even make enough money every month as a young pastor out in the middle of, of nowhere preaching in a church where you don't even make enough money to buy the insulin that your daughter needs to stay alive? What do you do? You trust God and God sends a pharmacist into the church who gets saved and provides the insulin. Come on now. God's faithful and God's good. God presents a way, but yet feeling abandoned on that night because suddenly I realized that not only does one daughter have it, but I said, I said, Jordan, do you mind if I just check? And, and so I checked, and, and, and when I took a look at, at what she was going through, I realized that we were on the way to the emergency room again. And my wife and I, we found ourselves saying, God, haven't we been faithful? Maybe I'm just preaching to myself. Dark days come to everybody. Struggles and problems come to everybody. And you need to listen to what this preacher's come to tell you today. Your pain can hold you back. My pain could hold me back. Or I can stand up here and declare to you that we are healed by his stripes. We are healed. That he's still able to deliver. That he's still faithful. He's still God. He's still king. And there have been miracle after miracle in these altars. Why? Because even in my weakness, God has been faithful. I don't know what dark days you're going through, but you listen to a man who bears similar scars with you. My God can and will bring you through if you'll keep going toward the promise and don't give up and let the pain lock you down. I thought I was preaching. I thought somebody was getting what I was saying today. I'm talking about a Jesus who still shows up in the fire. A God who's still worthy to deliver and able and... You see, he let his pain put him in a holding pattern. His pain so impacted him that he gave up on his God-given calling. Instead of our pain becoming the thing that propels us toward God, we end up stuck in the middle of a dry and weary place. Christine and I have been there. Here's what we learned. Now, this is deep and profound. Are you ready for this? When we are hurt, we are not very smart. That's pastor trying to be better than saying we get stuck and stupid. Come on. You been there? When we are hurt, we're not very smart because pain blinds us. It will cause us to do things that we better, we know better than doing. Pain will define us if we let it, and we will never move on. See, we think we're doing the right thing, but here's the thing. Pain so changes us, it destroys our relationships because pain will pollute our relationships. God called Terah to go to Canaan, but he had to watch Abraham push on because he couldn't get past his pain. For whatever reason, he stayed stuck there. And Abraham had to make a choice. He would either continue following the promises of God or he would allow that pain to define him so long that he gave up on God's promise. See, this is where someone like Job says, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. I can't allow what I'm going through to change how good he is. 
preaching truth. You see, when you love people that are going through pain, you have to understand something, that the people around you will be faced with a decision in the season of your pain. They will either allow their your your pain to anchor them down or they will allow themselves to take on your woundedness if they want to stay behind with you. But I'll never forget a pastor who spoke into my life. I'd gone through a rough time. I was going through a struggle. I'm and as I, as I started going through that rough time, I gathered with that pastor and I told him all my struggles. And this is what he said while I was telling him, that's wrong. That shouldn't have happened to you. I'm sorry. That was really, I mean, I was feeling like I found a friend. I finished telling my story. I said, so what do you advise I do? He said, well, Don, I've got one question for you. I said, okay, what's your question? He said, this is going to determine the advice I give you. Are you ready for this? He said, is what you're facing the result of an attack or are you being rebuked from God? Excuse me? He said, did you dig the hole you're in? Or is the enemy trying to knock you into a hole? I said, I thought you were my friend. You're supposed, I, I told you my pity story. You're supposed to, you know, pity wants to have a party. But you might want a pity party but you'll never walk in the power of promises if that's what you're after. And I had to look at my life and find out if I needed to repent or if I needed to resist. Do you know in that one moment that man changed my life because every time I face an enemy now I say, is this a rebuke or is this an attack? Listen to me. What the enemy wants you to do is feel like everybody turns against you. And we end up in no man's spiritual land, so we start withdrawing from the relationship with other believers. Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Listen to me. This is important. I'm going to give this to you faster than I did the other services. This is not just about attending church or joining a small group because group settings can be the loneliest place around. But it's about tearing down the walls that prevents you from engaging. Ecclesiastes 4 and 8 tells us, There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. What that's really trying to tell us is this. You were not created to focus on yourself. And if all you can see is your pain, then you've missed out on the promise. Am I preaching truth? You see, we all have dark days ahead of us. Everyone in this room goes through dark days. And that's why we need each other. Because there are people in this room who sent supplies when my children needed them. There's others in this room who have been there for each other. We need each other in dark days. Sometimes you don't even need to speak. You just need to stand. Now, why is this important? Because when you know true darkness, you will rejoice at any light. I'll never forget that I was 
Up on the hill of Fairmont in, in, in Haiti, I was uh, in a place called Fort Jacques. And I was just touring this old fort, and as I as I went into Fort Jacques, I I, I came uh, and was going to look at the dungeon underneath. And when I went into the dungeon, uh, a young man we call Pastor Timon, but uh, uh, he just slammed the door on at me. I heard that door latch behind me, and the darkness was so thick you could touch it. No light at all. Made me think of Paul and Silas when they were in that that basement cell themselves and they began to sing and the light of Christ penetrated the darkness and every chain fell off and every door came open. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. I was coming down the Amazon River in the middle of such darkness one time as we were coming down, speeding down the river, all of a sudden we hit a submerged tree. We're in a part in the Amazon River that's three miles wide. Y'all look like you look comfortable, but imagine it's so dark you can't see a thing. You hit a tree, and I thought, well, I at least need to look at the missionaries who are with me. They've been here 30 years. They'll tell me if there's a problem, and they were clutching each other, crying in prayer. It suddenly got darker. I said, well, if the boat goes down, I'll see you in heaven. They're like, you're not going to try to make a swim for it, Pastor? All I could see was 1970s piranha movies. Come on now, amen. (laughs) That's all I could see. I said, it's over. This is it. But suddenly, the boat settled, the motor came back on, and the lights illuminated the darkness. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Recently, somebody gave me a book, and I didn't know that this book was going to speak to me spiritually so much. It was a business book. But this book talks about the entomology of society, those who, you know, love to study insects. And, and any, anybody in here love to study insects? A few of you. Okay, good, good. All right. How many, how many of you want to do everything you can not to study an insect? Yeah. Well, the year's 1935, and an American professor on his study of insects is floating down the river in Southeast Asia. It is so dark that he can see nothing. All he can hear are the jungle sounds of the night floating through the darkness. Suddenly, lightning hits the tree to his right. It's so dark that the lightning makes like a, a, a flash so bright that it creates almost like a negative effect, you know, you know, when you can only see that dark white image in the middle of the blacks. And when his eyes finally, finally reacclimate, he's shocked because lightning hits the tree again. But then he realizes the next tree is now lit and the next tree and the next tree and the next tree and the next tree. And he realizes that it wasn't lightning that had struck, but lightning bugs that had lit. And they were illuminating the entire darkness of this river. It was so beautiful that he, he began to record everything about it. He came back, wrote a scientific paper, and instead of being celebrated, he became a pariah. He was, he was, he was pushed aside. He, 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 this phenomenon was, was, was called false, a hoax, but he would go to his deathbed proclaiming that this was reality. And they couldn't understand because 
when the lightning bugs light, they're saying, look at me, look at me, distinguish me from the others and come at, to me. And, and, and so when they see that, they couldn't say, they said, why would they light on one tree all at the same time, lighting up the darkness together? What would make them all illuminate at one moment? And so they, they called him a fraud. They, they called him a liar. And, and now, though, because of modern uh, uh, communication, modern science, we know that his phenomenon recorded in 1935 actually happens. And we know why. Because we understand that when, you know, the lightning bugs appear here. The other night I was watching my, my, my puppy as he was experiencing lightning bugs for the very first time. And I watched it run in terror. And I thought, wow, what a guard dog you're going to be. But the lightning bugs could be seen. I could see still parts of them all across the yard because when they come out here, they come out at that dust time. They come out at that time when you can still see, but not there because the darkness was so bright. I mean, it was so dark that they had to shine so bright to be seen that, that they realized something. That in those jungles, in order for them to survive as a species, those, they had to realize, now you listen to what I'm, I'm trying, I feel prophetic in what I'm saying to you right now. They realized that there was only a 3% chance that they would actually be successful in drawing attention to themselves if they lit alone. 3%. 3% chance that they could continue the success of the species and it would have died within a, just a few cycles and they would be gone. But they found out that by working together, they come together and that one shines the light along with another and another till thousands and thousands shine the light. It seems like, and the reason it was rejected, because it seemed like it was going against the survival of the fittest. But instead, what it did was it caused the darkness to be illuminated so bright that their chance of actually succeeding at that moment went from 3% to 82%. 82% of them would then carry on their genetic makeup into the next cycle of the lightning bug because they realized the darker it gets, the more they needed each other to shine their light so that the world might see. What did Hebrews say? That we need each other more and more as we see the day approaching. That's talking about the dark days of the last days of this world. We need each other more. Why? Because my light over here can shine but when my light meets the light of those around me and we start throwing up worship together something begins to happen there's an atmosphere that begins to be created and the light that begins to shine begins to change lives all around us and suddenly those that are stuck in their pain can say if you came through I can come through and they join in and we all shine the light of Jesus Christ in a darkened world amen Why? Stand with me. Why? Because the person next to you may have fought the devil this week. I don't know why God puts you here for my illustration. I've used you about twice. You too, out of thousands of members across six campuses, you too have received more prayer this week than anybody else. I don't know why. But I have interceded before the throne of heaven for you. And when you worship, it lights something. And it causes something. Do you realize that all this dancing that everybody says, that's the church where those people dance? 
you were the first. And the light goes on. And the light goes further. And so when I come into the room and I'm downcast and I'm discouraged and Kyle begins to throw up his arms in worship, all of a sudden I get inspired and I throw up my arms in worship. And all of a sudden, see last week we talked about how to attract his praise. This week I'm showing you the power of it. The praise of the moment moves us past the pain toward the promise of God and our lights shine in the darkness and we declare that God's been faithful to us and he can do it for you. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I preach longer than normal today. I do apologize, sort of. But I do not apologize for obeying God because we need each other. Somebody in this place, your heron, your place of your pain, God is calling you past your haran. He's calling you past that place. You've allowed it to define you. You've allowed it to blind you. You've allowed it to be still decades off of your life. And God sent a pastor this morning with a message that says, Come, all who are weary, and the Lord will give you rest. And you shall be refreshed, and you shall mount up on with wings of eagles. Come on now. And you shall not be running around. You shall learn to soar again. Why? Because you've learned the power of moving past your pain. Every head bowed and every eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. And listen to me carefully. Let me ask you today. If you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, my pain has dictated so much about my life. I am ready to move on to the promise. Can I see your hand? Hands are already going up in this place. Hold them up. Hold them up. Hold them up. My goodness. Holy Ghost of the living God. What some of you don't understand is you're shining a light this direction right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the light shine. Some of you online are saying, he's speaking to me. He's speaking to me. Put those hands down. Holy Ghost. You listen to me. I spoke with a dear loved one this morning about a, a, a global figure who's going through pain. His pain is just as real and just, just, just as, as felt in his family's pain as the family uh, uh, that just down the street. We all go through dark days, but there's only one hope for all of us, and his name is Jesus. So in this place today, I want to ask you one more question. You gather to this house. Pain has marked your whole life. Maybe you were harmed in ways that, that life should never allow to have happened, or death and struggles have taken away who you are, but you've never confessed your life completely to Jesus Christ. The greatest peace you'll ever find, the greatest promise you'll ever find, is giving your heart to Jesus. I didn't embarrass anybody else to raise their hand. You'll notice that, and I'm not going to embarrass you now, but I want to ask you, is there anyone watching, anyone present, who would say with me, anyone listening, who would say with me, today, I want to accept the promise of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to stop allowing my pain to define who I am. The dark days are about to give way to the light of Christ. And you're ready to be born again. You're ready for God to change your life. If that's you, right where you are today, could I just see your hand? Would you hold it up quickly? Today's your day. Thank you, sir. Are there others? Hold them up quickly. Thank you, ma'am. Are there others? Thank you. There's three. Are there others? Looking around this room, there's three people in this service. Folks, that's going to be eight people for the day. Should there be nine? Should there be ten? Is God speaking to your heart? This is your moment. This is your time.
This is your hour. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I've never prayed uh, that prayer. Then, then we're going to pray in just a moment. Or maybe you prayed the prayer before, but you know you've not made him Lord of your life. And you've not already raised your hand. If that's you, could I see your hand right where you are? And you say, today I want to make him Lord of my life. I want him to, to help me walk in. Thank you. That's nine. Is there another? Is there another? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, we're going to pray with these first. The Bible says that we will confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We would be born again. Somebody said, do you really believe that settles it? The thing that settles it is faith in Jesus. I believe that it started being settled the moment their hand went into the air. The faith in Jesus. Holy Ghost of the living God. Spirit of the Most High God, you are present. You are able and you are faithful. Feel like he's still drawing somebody. You've cursed him, but now you're ready to receive him. The devil's told you that God can't love you having gone through what you've gone through. You've not raised your hand yet, but where are you? Now's your time. Where are you? Where are you? I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you. I just felt the Holy Spirit stop me to bring me back around. I'm looking for you. Holy Ghost. This is your moment. This is your hour. Maybe you're watching you say, that's something, that's me. Well, the Bible says that if we confess Jesus Christ the Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we're going to literally defeat the enemy that's trying to hold you back right now. I want every voice in this place to pray with these several in this service right now. These four that have chosen uh, to give their life to Jesus Christ in this service, this time. And I'm sure there may be others I've missed because there's always those that they say, you missed that one, Pastor, you missed that person. But God's not missing it now. I want you to lift your voice and pray along with me. Right where you are, pray along with me. Jesus, that's not, come on now, we're, this is, we're not... We're not a quiet church. We're going to believe in faith. Declare with me. Jesus, by faith, I declare I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And now by faith, I receive your grace. I have lived for myself. I have experienced pain. But now, I exchange my pain for your promise. I repent of my sins from this moment forward. Come on, help me. For this moment forward, I will never be the same. And now I declare, God is my Father, heaven is my home, and Jesus is my Savior. Father, I thank you for those that have prayed that for the very first time. Now I pray for the others that raise their hand because there is so much pain in this place. I declare over them now that the years that the enemy has stolen shall be returned with promise. As they shake off the bonds of the enemy that has said you will never have hope. Lord, as they place their faith in the risen Son of God, as they as believers declare that our God is able, as they begin to worship in spite of their pain, Father, I thank you that this same Spirit that not only raised Christ from the dead, but the same Spirit that shook the prison and broke off the chains and knocked open the doors when Paul and Silas were in darkness will show up and shine out the light in the middle of their dark moment and they shall be freed also in the 
mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Now come on, give God a praise like he deserves. Give him a praise like he, the one who set you free, the one who delivered you, the one who just saved souls this morning. Amen. today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at Warhill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 8.15, 9.30, and 11 a.m., where you will find Real Love Now.